All right, if you want to grab a seat. And as you get yourself as you get yourself settled in, if you want to open up uh, a Bible, whether that's on your phone or you've got a hard copy in front of you, to Proverbs chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. I hadn't thought about this until last service. Uh, if, you're, if you're a note taker and you're going to transition to notes in your phone, uh, from up here it's just going to look like you're texting the whole service. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that until last service. Uh, Let's pray and then we'll jump into Proverbs 2. God, thank you for this morning, Lord, for the chance to come and and declare the truth that your love is greater, it is stronger than all things, that it's your love and your grace that have awakened us to abundant and eternal life. Uh, God, that is, uh, those those are blessings that are beyond even really describing, Lord, and the chance to be together as a church family and to declare those and to celebrate those uh, is a privilege and uh, a blessing every Sunday morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. Teach us, Lord. Uh, Would your Holy Spirit work powerfully to take the truth of your scripture and just press them deeply into our hearts and into our minds. Lord, I pray that uh, as we engage in your word, and as we sing and interact with one another, and as we pray, Lord, would all of those things glorify you? Lord, would your spirit move powerfully among us here this morning, but also as we go from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to describe a setting that I think is probably familiar to most of us. It takes place on, uh, on a Thursday in November every year, Thanksgiving. You show up at Uh, some family member's house or the whole family shows up to your house and everybody brings their side dish or item of choice and it's time to go through the food line. So you grab a plate and there are a couple of ways to approach that food line. I know there are a couple of ways because my wife and I do it wildly differently. (laughs) My wife grabs that plate and she walks up to that uh, kind of buffet of food and she gets 15 very small portions of everything that is available. And so her plate is usually pretty colorful, which she enjoys. Um, But what what happens in that is that it means that you only get the small portion of the thing that matters most. Let me tell you how I approach that line. One plate full of meat and potatoes. (laughs) Just full of turkey and mashed potatoes, and then I've got to carry it very carefully to wherever I'm seated because the gravy's liable to spill over the edges. That's the way I handle the Thanksgiving food line. You can either go variety is the spice of life, that's the Melody Fritzen method, or you can go just give me the thing that matters most, that's the Tim Fritzen method. I say that, I tell that little story, that illustration, in order to say this. As we continue to talk about wisdom, and as we approach Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs 2 is going to tell us how is it that you actually go about the pursuit of wisdom. Last week we saw that the beginning of wisdom starts with a fear of the Lord, a reverence and an awe of who He is, and a recognition of our uh, finiteness and humility before Him. This week, we're going to see how you actually go about pursuing wisdom. And the world says that you pursue wisdom via like a mix and match sort of method. 
You build your wisdom plate, so to speak, by taking little bits from as many different people as you possibly can. Maybe you've got a diet person, a fitness and diet that you follow on Instagram. You've got a fashion blog or a style blog that you really like. You have your financial guru of choice, whether that's Dave Ramsey or Larry Burkett or David Bach. In the leadership realm, you really like to read John Maxwell or Sheryl Sandberg or Simon Sinek or you really enjoy Craig Rochelle's LeaderCast or whatever the case might be. You have the TED Talks page bookmarked in your Google Chrome or your Safari. Peter Drucker is your go-to when it comes to business and management. You have a few pastors that you like to listen to via podcast. You want to walk in wisdom? Mix and match. You just pull sources from wherever it is that you can and you get all the competing voices and then you try to just distill the ones that you think are your favorite or that are doing a good job. I want to keep giving this disclaimer as we go through this uh, series. Those voices are not always wrong. They often have wonderful things to say about a wide variety of topics. They can shed light on any number of practical issues and we should take advantage of them. But we have to get the meat and potatoes right, too. In fact, we have to get the meat and potatoes right first. We must get the main thing in place and then allow that to be the lens that gives focus and clarity to everything else. That's where Proverbs chapter 2 comes in. Let me recap Proverbs 1 really quickly before we go into reading chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 is a continuation of the conversation, that kind of hypothetical conversation that Solomon is having with his son. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And whereas in Proverbs chapter 1, we saw that the world says you live and learn, you make big mistakes, you maybe make a wreck out of a certain area of your life, but it's okay because you can learn from that and do better the next time. Proverbs 1, 1 to 7 says that there's another way to live, that you can actually learn and live. You can seek knowledge and wisdom and understanding and then live out of that. And the way that we go about doing that, the beginning place, the foundation of that is a fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1.7. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. Wisdom is more than just an accumulation of facts. It's more than an accumulation of book knowledge or book learning. It's a relationship that you can walk in. In the book of Proverbs, that relationship is uh, personified by a relationship with wisdom as a person. Lady wisdom is how she's described throughout the book of Proverbs. For us today, that relationship is with Jesus Christ, the wise one who commands our attention. We saw that last week. Who gives warnings for us to heed. The most dire of those warnings is an eternal warning and the consequences that come from not walking in relationship with Jesus. But then he also gives earthly warnings about the consequences of living foolishly or walking in sin. And then there are also promise, there's a promise of intimacy in that relationship with Christ. And so with those things in mind, we turn to chapter 2. And I'm going to read the entire thing. It's 22 verses long. But before I do so, I want to just give you some of the structure. As I sat down and began working with Proverbs chapter 2, there are some words that are repeated that jumped off the page. In fact, they're very instructive uh, in terms of how it is that we understand Proverbs chapter 2. Three times there's an if statement. If you do fill in the blank. Twice, Proverbs 2 then gives us a then statement. If you do these things, then this is what happens. Three different times there's a for statement. When you're 
working through scripture and you see the word for, oftentimes you can put in the word because in that spot. In Proverbs chapter 2, two different times there's a because. If you do this, then this will happen because of this truth. And then at the very end in verse 20, there's a so. And it's like Solomon summarizes at the end of chapter 2. So as we read, listen for those words. Here we go. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the way of his faithful followers. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will delight you. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. It will rescue you from the way of evil, from anyone who says perverse things from those who abandon the right paths to walk in ways of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil and celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. It will rescue you from a forbidden woman, from a wayward woman with her flattering talk, who abandons the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death in her way to the land of the departed spirits. None return who go to her, none reach the paths of life. So follow the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those of integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous ripped out from it. There is Proverbs chapter 2. The world says that you acquire wisdom via this sort of mix and match sort of life philosophy. Pull in the best voices that you can find from any source, whether they be Christian or secular corporate, whatever the case might be, and just build your wisdom plate. But the Lord says in Proverbs chapter 2 that walking with wisdom requires a singular focus. In chapter 1, we were told that that singular focus begins and it continues in a fear of the Lord. That's the starting place. And then in Proverbs chapter 2, we get an insight into how it is that we walk in that. How do we actually pursue that in our lives? Proverbs is not the first time that this idea of wisdom beginning with a fear of the Lord, that that shows up in Scripture. It's always been the Lord's method for humanity to seek and obtain wisdom, to begin by fearing Him with a reverence and an awe. How do I know that? Well, I know that because in Job 28, verses 20 to 28, we're given that statement. The book of Job is another book of wisdom literature within the Bible, which is where Proverbs falls, but it was written way before Proverbs. In fact, Job is one of the oldest dated books in your Bible. Verses 28, or 20 to 28 from chapter 28 say the following. This is kind of a long passage, but it's fantastic. It says this, Where can wisdom be found? Where is understanding located? <clears throat> no one can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it is not in me, while the sea declares, I do not have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it, and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir in precious onyx. Gold and glass do not compare with it. Articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz from Cush cannot compare with it and cannot be valued in pure gold. Where does wisdom come from? 
And where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, we have heard news of it with our ears, but God understands the way to wisdom and he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind, distributed the waters by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the, uh, for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. Those are some of the oldest words in your Bible. That the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. True knowledge comes from one place, and that place is from the Lord. Walking in wisdom is not a matter of mixing and matching from the world's foremost authorities. It is a matter of singular focus. And when we allow that focus to be the lens by which we look at everything else, the rest of the world is brought into clarity. That's what we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs 2.6 tells us, The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, those pour forth from the mouth of the Lord. His words are wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And the grace and the truth of that in both relational and informational terms is astounding. As we go through Proverbs over the next 13 weeks after this week, do not lose sight of the fact that wisdom, first and foremost, is a relationship that you can have. And so relationally, who is the living word? That's Jesus. And he has been given to us. We didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. We didn't even ask for that. We can literally walk with wisdom because by grace, he has been given to us. Proverbs 2.6, the Lord gives wisdom. He gave the wise one to humanity. And then in an informational sense, the Lord gives wisdom. It's his, Job 28, 20 to 28. He has it to give. He established it. He set the parameters for it. He knows what wisdom is, and it is a joy for him to give it. The book of James chapter 1 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. In the same way that the Lord gave his son, the wise one, joyfully, unbegrudgingly, freely and fully, the Lord has informational wisdom to give in the same manner, and he does so with joy. What the Lord has to give for those who fear him relationally is the wise one, his son. What the Lord has to give for those who fear him in an informational sense is wisdom, how to live life. He gave and he gives. The opening verses of Proverbs chapter 2 are then full of action words for how it is that we actually pursue that. Just scan down the first four verses of Proverbs chapter 2 with me. Look at the verbs. Accept my words. Store up my commands. Listen closely to wisdom. Direct your hearts to understanding. Call out to insight. Lift your voice to understanding. Seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. The world says mix and match. The Lord says this is an activity of singular focus. So let's just jump straight to the applications. How do I actually do that? What does the singular focus look like? How do I structure my life in such a way as to actually pursue 
this. Verses 1 and 2. Accept His words. Store up His commands. Listen closely to Him. Direct your hearts to what He has to say. We need to be diligent in His word. Diligence. Accept it. Store it up. Listen closely. Direct your hearts. Verse 3. Furthermore, if you call out to insight, if you lift your voice to understanding. So wisdom's not just something that we can get into the word and hope to receive. It's also something that we can ask for, that we can actually call out for. We can lift our voice and cry to the Lord for it. We need to be diligent in prayer. That it's not just that I'm hoping to look at the word and just download the information. It's that I can also ask for it boldly, James 1, and know that the Lord will give it unbegrudgingly, generously. Be diligent in the word. Be diligent in prayer. Verse 4, seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. You're diligent in the word. You're diligent in prayer. And then you get these verbs in verse 4 that you need to seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. We need to be diligent in our effort. Those are mining sort of images. Seek it like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. What comes to mind for me when I read verse 4 is Jesus' parable about the pearl of great value or the treasure hidden in a field that you would sell everything you have in order to get that and have the treasure, to have that thing. It requires diligent effort. Not in order to be saved, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning place. Your effort isn't what's going to make you right before the Lord, or you're not just going to work really hard and therefore get something. No, it begins in a place of reverence, and the Lord gives, by His grace, relationship with the wise one, and then out of that relationship, you're diligent in the Word, diligent in prayer, diligent in your effort. Let me give an encouragement, some, some exhortations, if you will. And over the next few minutes, I want to speak directly to the men in this room. Dads, husbands, don't deprive yourself here. Men especially are susceptible, I think, to the thought that I've been in this career for a long time. I know what I'm doing. I've been married for 25 years. I've got that figured out. First service wives laughed when I said that. <laughs> I've, I've been a parent for however long. I've got a good handle on that. And so we think that we can cut ourselves off from the actual source of wisdom. Start to deprive ourselves. We're not seeking that in prayer. We're not digging into the word. There's no diligence there. We deprive ourselves. What happens there? You deprive yourself, you end up depriving your spouse. That's what happens. You deprive yourself, you end up depriving your children. That's what happens. I was thinking about a way to paint this picture as clearly as I could, and what kept coming to mind was being on an airplane. You're sitting on the runway, getting ready to take off, and the flight attendant comes over the little intercom and says, In the event that we experience a decrease in cabin pressure... Three oxygen masks will drop down. And then they go on to explain what you're supposed to do with that oxygen mask. You take it and you put it 
the yellow part over your nose and you pull the little strings in order to make it tight. And then they remind you that the bag might not inflate, but oxygen is still flowing through the tube, which is important to know. And then they tell you that if you're flying with children or someone else who needs assistance, what are you supposed to do? Yours first. Why? Because if you're dead, you're no help to the child or the person that needs help. If you die, they die. Husbands. Dads. You deprive yourself. You deprive your spouse. You deprive your children. You die, they die. You flounder, they flounder. You languish, they languish. I cannot encourage you enough, men in this room. Be diligent in the word. Be diligent in prayer. Let your family see that you are diligent in your effort to seek the Lord. Some of my most favorite stories that I've heard Melody tell about her family, particularly about her dad, is that she would wake up in the morning and get ready to go to school. And she would walk by the place where her dad would have his quiet time. He'd spend time with the Lord. And there he would be on his knees in prayer. So I don't know what he was praying for, but I know that it mattered a lot. Diligent. Be diligent in the word, men. Be diligent in prayer. Be diligent in your effort. You deprive yourself, you deprive your spouse. You deprive yourself, you deprive your children. And what the world needs, both inside your home and outside your home, is not a little bit more about what maybe John C. Maxwell has to say about leadership, though he's a wonderful individual and a great author and he has good things to say. What the world needs is the Lord. What the world needs, what your family needs, men, is a picture of what it looks like to passionately pursue Jesus. Be diligent in that. Single moms, be diligent in that. High school kids, be diligent. College students, be diligent. I cannot give that exhortation enough. You can do a lot of stuff with your time and with your energy and with your effort, but the most important thing is that you are diligent in the pursuit of the Lord, in the Word, in prayer, in the efforts you make in seeking Him. We want to give a concrete handle for our congregation to grab onto when it comes to this. And so... Uh, something that our staff has been and leadership team has been engaged in over the last few months is a process of diligent prayer and fasting over some specific issues that we need wisdom on. We want to invite our congregation into that. And so on Wednesday, this Wednesday, June 12th, we're inviting you to join us in a day of prayer and fasting. You can pray and fast alongside us, just asking that the Lord would give wisdom and discernment to us. That's fantastic. You can do that anytime. Here's the green light for you to pray and fast on behalf of our staff and our leadership team. You don't need to ask us about that. We don't need to schedule it for you. You're just welcome to do that anytime you want. You might have things going on in your own life, your own sphere of business, your own sphere of influence, your own parenting and family, your finances, whatever the case might be, where you need wisdom. 
We're going to invite you in to pray and fast alongside us on Wednesday. I'm going to send out an email tomorrow. You'll probably get it in the afternoon that gives you some specifics about what that can look like. Some actual practical tools and how do we fast and what am I supposed to do in that time and how do I make that work and some specific things that you could be praying on behalf of our congregation if that's what you want to do. Or you can take your own issues before the Lord. Our staff and our leadership team has found that there is a measure of both comfort but also accountability in doing this together. That it's just nice to know that there's other people that are doing this alongside us. And so we want to invite you into that process. We'll send that email out tomorrow and you can join us on Wednesday if you would like. Matthew Henry says this, we must cry after wisdom and the one who gives it as one who is ready to perish for hunger begs hard after bread. That's how we are to pursue wisdom. That's how we're to pursue the wise one, the one who has wisdom to give. And so we want to invite you into that with us on Wednesday. You'll get more information about it. Keep going with me here in Proverbs chapter 2. Look down at verse 11. We're told that if we do these things, then we will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God because the Lord gives wisdom. Verse 6, he stores up success for the upright, a shield for those who live in integrity. He guards the paths of justice, protects the way of his followers. You'll understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. Wisdom will enter your heart, verse 10, and knowledge will delight you. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. There's the diagnostic test for how this process is going in your life. If you're a note taker, jot down the following question. This is the most basic question you can ask about the state of your heart at all times. And that question is, what is my delight? What do I delight in? Is it the intimacy of relationship with Jesus, the life-giving words that come from Scripture, the relationship and communion that happens with Him, the fellowship that happens with Him in prayer? Is it the process of walking with Him in relationship? Or is it something else? Is your delight something different? That's your diagnostic question. If the wise one has entered your heart by grace through faith, if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, marked for eternity in the presence of the Lord, then your delights ought to match that. And just as wisdom is a relationship with a person, Jesus, Proverbs 2 describes foolishness as a relationship with a person, a personal force, if you will. Satan, evil. You can be in relationship with either one, Verses 12 down to 19 show us what the relationship with sin and foolishness looks like. But wisdom can rescue us from that. Verse 12, from the way of evil, from the one who says perverse things. That word for perverse things is tapuka. That's the Hebrew word. If you're using a King James Bible, you've actually got the best translation of that Hebrew word in front of you. The word that King James uses there is froward. F-R-O-W-A-R-D, froward. That's an old English word that we don't use anymore. In fact, if you type it into your like, Word document, you're going to get a red line underneath that because it's not even in the computer's dictionary. So more modern translations put it as perverse things, but unfortunately in English, perverse has this connotation of like sexual deviance or something. It's perverted. What Proverbs 2 is talking about is not merely like dirty jokes or coarse talking, though, someone who says perverse things. It's talking about intentional distortion. That's what frowardness is. Fraudulence. Wisdom 
will enter your heart. It will delight you. It will watch over you. It will guard you. Verse 12, it will rescue you from the way of evil from anyone who intentionally distorts reality. That is the mode of operation for Satan. That is the basement floor of sin and brokenness. That evil is out there calling good things bad and bad things good. Frowardness. It's distorting reality. Celebrating what should be despised. Despising what should be celebrated. Walking in crooked paths. Verse 15. And claiming it's a lot of fun while all the while there's a straight path available to you. It's devious. That's the intent. Ray Ortland describes it this way. Bad men use good words to smuggle in bad realities, and some people are fooled. But if wisdom has entered your heart, tricky words just don't pass the sniff test. If wisdom enters your heart, knowledge is watching over you, discretion is guarding you, it becomes your delight, then what's happened is that wisdom gives you the glasses necessary to see straight. It throws the blinds open and casts light on the perversity of evil. It allows you to see what's distorted for what it is. Gives you glasses necessary to see straight. Look down in verse 16. In verses 12 through 15, we've got this description of evil men or kind of the way of evil. They're distorting reality, calling bad things good, good things bad. The paths are crooked. Their ways are devious. In verse 16, we're introduced to this forbidden woman. That image carries its way all the way through the first nine chapters of Proverbs. There's this wayward woman with her flattering talk who abandons the companion of her youth, forgets the covenant with her God. Her house sinks down to death. The image is most certainly and explicitly about adultery. But it can be extended to include any of these sort of fleshly cravings and lusts that we have. Evil and sin and foolishness, they cause us to crave incorrectly. That's why the question, what is my delight, is so helpful because it forces us to figure out what it is that we're craving at any time. When those cravings are off and we chase after them, they inevitably lead us down to death. To use the verbiage of chapter one, we set an ambush for ourselves. We attack our own lives. Her house sinks down to death. Wisdom not only gives us the glasses necessary to see straight, but it also gives us the taste buds necessary to crave correctly. If you do the things in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, then the Lord gives wisdom. He has it. It's His. He can give it. He can pass it on to whoever He wants to. Then, this is what happens. We get the glasses and we need to see straight. We get the taste buds necessary to crave correctly. As I was working through this passage over the course of the week, I kept coming back to the same illustration. And if you grew up in my household uh, under the parenting of Debbie Fritzen, all roads lead back to Disney. <laughs> so it's like Monday morning. We have some volunteers who regularly come in and they do some accounting things for us on Monday morning. And I'm sitting in my office and I am... Uh, discreetly trying to watch a clip from Snow White while these volunteers are walking back and forth in the hallway, thinking to themselves, it's 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. This man's listening to hi-ho. That's actually what was happening. I want to play a minute out of the movie Snow White. And I want to just kind of talk about what's happening in this because I think it pulls together everything in a weird way that... Uh, that we're talking about here in Proverbs chapter 2. So watch this clip with me. 
they're in a mine, right? Mining imagery, seeking, searching. The whole day, we're diligent about it. Dig, dig, dig with a shovel or a pick. In a mine, in a mine, in a mine, in a mine, where a million diamonds shine. All right, the jewels are there. Now watch what happens next. Not this. The next thing. A lifetime in that mind has given Doc the ability to see what's true and what's fake. What's diamond and what's cubic zirconium? What should be kept and what should be thrown out? And he's got a craving for the good stuff. He doesn't want the fake one, right? It's also giving him dopey. Smack. A lifetime of digging in that mind, being diligent in the effort, putting in the work has given him the ability to see straight and to crave correctly. He doesn't want that fake stuff. Get that out of here. Sweep it away, dopey. Dig, 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 dig. Be diligent in the word. Diligent in prayer. Diligent in your effort. If, Proverbs 2, 1 through 4, you do those things. Then the Lord gives wisdom and that wisdom will guard you and protect you from that which is a distortion of the Lord's good and evil and it will protect you from craving the wrong things. Proverbs 2 has painted all of those pictures for us. What walking with wisdom looks like, the diagnostic for what's taken root in our lives, what delights us, a picture of what evil looks like and how wisdom protects us. And the question is, how does the gospel sustain all of this? Jump down to verse 20. So, here's the summary, Solomon says. Follow the way of the good. Keep to paths of righteousness. For the upright will inhabit the land and those of integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous ripped out from it. The Lord gave wisdom, capital W, W wisdom, Jesus Christ, and he gives wisdom, lowercase w, information. And the sustaining power of the gospel is simple. Follow the way of the good. There's only ever been one good one. Jesus Christ. There's only ever been one who walked perfectly righteous paths. Jesus Christ. Follow Him. Behold Him. Look to Him at all times. Be diligent in casting your eyes upon Jesus Christ because that is where wisdom lies. And He will lead us to inhabit the land. When you see that phrase in the Old Testament, it's a reference to both living within the promises of God but also dwelling eternally with Him. There's the guarantee. You follow the good. You walk the righteous paths of the righteous one who walked them before you. You'll inhabit the land. The gospel sustains that. I want to end with these words from Psalm 23. They're familiar. You've heard them before, but put them into the context that we're looking at today. The Lord is my shepherd. Sheep follow the shepherd. Follow the way of the good. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters, renews my life, leads me along the right paths, paths of righteousness for His name's sake. 
Even when I go through the darkest valley where everything's distorted, where it's all fraudulent, where good looks evil and evil looks good, I'll fear no danger. Why? Because I'm walking with the wise one. You are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. God's been gracious to give us the good shepherd, the good one that we can follow. He's the doorway into this kind of wise life. He's the pathway by which we live. We find him in his word. We commune with him in prayer. We're diligent in our efforts and we behold him in reverence. And as we do so, he becomes our delight. He protects us from the distortions of evil and the cravings of sin. Both in life and eternity, he leads us along righteous paths and into his house. Proverbs 2 is an amazing chapter of Scripture. Be diligent in the Word. Be diligent in prayer. Be diligent in your effort to seek after and to follow the good, to walk the paths of the righteous one. Behold Him in reverence with fear. Proverbs chapter 1. Allow him to be your delight, to protect you from evil and from sin. We're going to sing a new song here. We're going to start with a new song. It's called Behold Our God. Proverbs 1.7 is the controlling verse for the entire book. You want to do Proverbs 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4 well? Then go back to Proverbs 1.7 and make sure you're beholding him with awe and reverence. The chorus to this new song is Behold Our God, seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. Let's adore him together. Stand up and sing.